Welcome to the Gear Garage Live Show. This weekly YouTube show covers whitewater rafting, river safety, gear, and anything else Zach feels like rambling on about. Well, happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Tuesday Q&A show. This is a show I do for a couple of reasons. One, it's a great way to answer questions. I get questions throughout the week and comments. It's a great way to just answer them, to, to share the answers with every, everybody. But also for me to practice my public speaking, this skill of talking to a computer and a camera and using a microphone is something I'm working on personally. So I enjoy the opportunity for you all to let me practice this skill. So this, I'll get to the one question we have this week, the one comment we have this week. But I'm going to start with talking about throwbacks a little bit, do a little sponsor talk, and then we'll finish up talking about festivals at the end. And let's get started with throwbacks. Uh, for all of you that don't know, I have a small online store. Uh, this is more of a commercial part. This is the part of like the sponsorship part of the show. So I'm going to bring it up here. Um, I have a little online store. We sell a few things, things that I think people have a hard time getting. And so I try to get high quality things and help get people have them. This is not like a, I think it's fun. It like brings a lot of joy in my life to, to get stuff to people that want it. But it's a very, very small little side thing. This isn't a huge priority in my life. Uh, so sometimes it takes us a few days to answer emails. Uh, shipping might take a few days. If I'm gone for a week, you may not even get the thing for a while. Our customer service is terrible. This, you know, this is only if you want like really high quality stuff. And you don't have a lot of questions. If you have questions or whatever, go somewhere else. Uh, but I, one of the reasons I do this is because I want to provide things like uh, these throw bags that my friend Gaspar makes uh, in Hungary. And I think they're the best throw bags out there. I just think they're the best. They're almost impossible to get in the U.S. So I import them. It's a huge pain. I didn't realize how much a pain it was to pay customs and get shipping from overseas. And there's half the time there's problems and paperwork to fill out. Uh, so I order like 20, 30 every six months and uh, sell them to those of you that want them. And they are very expensive. So I totally admit these are expensive throw bags. Actually, if you compare them, I think they're expensive. If you compare them to what's on the market, they're actually not bad, surprisingly. They seem expensive to me. Uh, but uh, there, there's three different sizes. There's a 20-meter, 18-meter, and the 15-meter. I'm out of the, the longer ropes. I'm going to try to do a reorder soon. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm about to do a reorder. I'm about to order more from Gaspar. And uh, I want to kind of get a sense of what I need to order. And so I'm basing that on what, what I've sold. And so if you want to, if you've wanted to order one of these for a while, now's the time because it helps me make good decisions about reorders. Uh, this is the 15 meter version. I'm digging this one. This is my kind of my go-to. You know, it's not 15 meters is like what is it, like 50 feet or something? I think I put it on here. I didn't put it on here. I don't know. It's like 50-ish feet. It's not that much rope. It's great for swimmers from shore, just quick throwbacks to a to a boat. Um, it's just a good handy tool. I don't mind wearing this as a waist belt bag. It's a size that actually it doesn't really get in my way. This is the 18-meter, and the 20-meter is a little bit bigger. Wearing this around my waist is kind of flappy. It does affect my swimming a little bit more because it's something on my back when I'm swimming, and it hits the back of the seat more when I'm rowing. So I like these a lot, but I just don't like wearing them. This is great, you know, for some applications, maybe paddleboat guiding, or they, they they actually rig really well around a thwart. I mean, if you want to just have your throw bag, your throw bag's always dangling. You know, if you're if you have a dangly throw bag that has like a strap and uh your hand can get caught in that strap, 
it's just dangling around. Uh, I've never been stoked on that. Whereas uh, this around the throw bag is a really nice package. It just you clip it out, use it, put it right back. It doesn't really have many straps you can get stuck in. So um, this is a great one for around the thwart, uh, either the 18 meter like this one, the 20 meter. Uh, but man, I have really been digging the little 15 meter. That's just a quick around my waist, not a big deal, uh, easy to put on throw bag. So that's the word from our sponsor. If you want to order them, they're available here. Uh, yeah. And we I just sold out of the, the Makita blower adapters yesterday. So hopefully an order is coming in if you're waiting for those. All right. So that's the end of the sponsored part of the show or the commercial or whatever you would call that. And I want to get to the show. And we have one comment question I just want to address. And it's a long one. It's a bunch of sentences in a row that I'm not going to read the whole thing. The gist of the comment is um, has to do with my or length equation. And I feel pretty strongly that most people who sell rafts and raft packages are selling oars that are too short. I feel this way because I see people in the field all the time with the wrong oar length. And you you can't you don't get to go test a bunch of oars. You have to have to you buy them and you have them. You don't get to just like try things out. You kind of have to trust what you hear from others or what somebody sold you, the boat told you. And, you know, in our classes, all the time, somebody, somebody shows up with the wrong length oar and they can row the boat. But I, if I just switch them out to a different length of oar, you can tell right away their, their, their posture changes, their mechanics change, they're rowing more confidently. Um, I can watch somebody row in a video and be like, oh, their oar is just the wrong length. Their hands are too high. They're too far apart. They're not getting their blades all the way in. It's just so obvious to me at this point. So I looked a lot into oar length uh, for, for rafts. That I, I For a lot of people that I trust, a lot of people that I think are good boaters, I looked at what people were doing that were doing a really good job. And I found that almost everybody was was in that oar length of you take, well, you take the distance between the oar locks and you multiply by 1.63. And the, the sort of standard idea out there is to uh, divide by three and multiply by two. Like break your oar into thirds right? Assuming that your oar lock is one is one third way down the oar, breaking the thirds and then multiply by two because there's like two halves. It's very simplistic. It's not that well thought out. And it, it turns out uh, that having one third of your oar in the boat and two thirds out of your boat isn't actually how things are like in the real world. Go look at, go look at your boat right now and see if one thirds in two thirds out. It's almost definitely not the case for anybody. Um, it's a different ratio. So after looking at a whole bunch of different setups, doing some math, everybody who was solid was in that 1.61 to 1.65 range. And so I just decided that like 1.63 is the way to go. I believe this firmly. And I did a video about this. People watch it. And I feel like, again, if you measure the distance between your orlocks and you multiply by 1.63, it's a really good starting place. And you really probably can't go wrong with that number. And I, I would say, like in my video too, like you can fudge some. I say if you have bad oar management or you want your hands wider, drop it by half a foot, right? If you get if you multiply by 1.63 and say you get 10 feet, right? Let's say 1.63 times your distance between your oar locks is 10 feet, and you have bad oar management, you just don't like them that long. Take off half a foot, go nine and a half. If you have really good oar management and you want more power and you're not running super technical stuff. Add half a foot. So 
I would say like it's multiplied by 1.63 plus or minus half a foot. That's a good place to start. Instead of where people are at is they're starting at 1.63 minus half a foot or more. Like they're just starting in the wrong place. And I just over and over I've seen this work. Where I found that formula is a little problematic is at the ends. At really big boats and really small boats. Like a, those little ten, a lot of people are rowing shredders, 10 and a half foot boats. Um, and it kind of breaks down on those like 10, 10 foot boats. It doesn't, I, I use the formula still, but it, I could see how you might do something different for smaller boats and for really, really big boats. Uh, because you might get really like the distance between the oarlocks gets so big, you might get to like 12 or 13 feet. And I think that those are just too long of oars. So I would cap at 11 feet. Uh, and Sawyer, I mean, I think they do make some 12 foot oars. And I've seen people with distance between the oarlocks at 1.63 being 13 feet. And we'll get to that in a second. But like once I would say 11 feet's a cap. Once you get to 11 feet, you're done. So if your distance says 12 feet, go 11. Because once the oar gets so long, it's just too much to manage. And it's going to start bending a lot based just on the length. And so it's just, I don't know, it's just not a great length. Our, our 18-foot boats, the distance between our 18-foot boats, or the oarlocks, is 78 inches. Which get, I think if I remember right, it's like 10.8. I, I have to do the math again, but it's like it's just below 11 feet. So our 18-foot boats get us just below eight just below 11 foot oars. So I'm talking about like 19 foot boats, 20 foot boats, 22 foot boats. They're, it, it's just a different regime, a whole different thing, right? But what's happened, this has come up a few times, including in this, this comment here, uh, is that uh, they measure the distance and it's large. In this comment, I think it was 87. Let's go back. Let's see. Um, 80, 87. So uh, the person who made this comment has a 16-foot boat with 87 inches between the, the oarlocks. That is nine more inches than our 18-foot boats. That's interesting. So I looked, I looked into it a little bit, and uh I, you know, that's just it's it's so I so that I think 87 feet, 87 inches gets you to 12 foot oars. I don't think a 16-foot boat needs to have 12 foot oars. So uh what happened when you look into this. And a normal, what I would call a normal raft, and I want to just preface this with one thing. When I'm speaking, I'm I, when I'm doing my videos or instruction of my courses, I'm a whitewater person. I'm assuming that everybody is at a minimum doing class three and has aspirations to do class four. That's where I think everybody's at. If you're a class two boater, don't like I don't know, you should skip most of my videos. If you have no, if you're always doing class two. You're doing the San Juan or like you're on like a class two river, maybe a little class three. I don't know. Don't listen to me. It, a lot, like if you're a desert boater where there's maybe one class four a year or, or a couple class fours a year, but you're generally on class two with a couple class threes. I don't know. This, this stuff doesn't matter. But if you're a boating class three and you're thinking, I want to do the Selway someday. I want to do the middle fork of the salmon at low water. I want to do the Illinois. I want to go run like stuff that's class four. What I'm going to share, I think, is really important. That's a good and important caveat. Again, if you're a class two boater, you're doing flat water mainly, easy rapids, this stuff doesn't matter that much. But this does matter a lot if your aspirations are Illinois, Selway, Middle Fork, high water Middle Fork, low water Middle Fork, things that are challenging. 
So I think most rafts, what happens is this is the raft right here. And if this is the tube right here, say that's the tube and that's the tube, there's a and there's generally a double rail system on overnight boats. Like there's two rails over the tubes. The mount for the oarlock is halfway between the rails, right? And so it's, so it's right here. What I'm seeing on more and more raft frames is that there's a double rail thing, and then the oarlock is mounted on the outside rail going out farther. And so, you know, if you put your oar mount here on a 16-foot boat, you're going to end up doing the math. You're going to get whatever it is. You're going to probably end up with 10, 10 and a half foot oars. That's just what's going to happen. But if you mount them out further, let's say you mount each side, each side six inches out further, if you multiply that by 1.63, 12, your, your oar locks are 12 inch wider times 12.63 is another foot and a half, more than a foot and a half, another foot and a half longer oars minimum. And depending on how these are splayed out, possibly even more. So just by moving your oar lock out, let's say you move your oar lock out seven inches, we're basically saying two more feet of oars, which again, those oars, I wouldn't recommend those long of oars and they don't really exist anyway. So if, if you have a 16 foot boat, uh, I wouldn't go. And also the, we're in this comment, another comment, we're talking about the high side pro XC great boat, but a little wide. So the boat's already starting a little wide. And then when you mount the oar, like you put the oar locks on the very outside, it makes the distance really large. And then to have the right oars to run harder whitewater, then why would I talk about? You're doing a lot of class three, you're transitioning into class four. Maybe you're, you're not going to run class five within a boat like this. I, you just please don't, right? There's just It's just the distance between the oar locks is too large. This is not designed to run more difficult whitewater. This, in my opinion, is the way to go. You want that oar tower to be mounted in between, like halfway-ish between those double rails or you want it to be like on the tube not on the very very outer edge of the tube hopefully that makes some sense uh and then you get a proper length or so i did this the comment that i put up earlier was commenting well when you talked to zach and sawyer um you were very i mean i was like very quick to just say like 16 foot boat is 10 foot and yeah i mean i'm gonna say you're probably gonna have like in that 10 foot range or um but the, unless you have some frame, it doesn't quite work. And so if you buy a boat and then you just go buy a frame uh, and, and the oar locks are way out, that frame might be the wrong frame. So I would want to make sure if I'm buying a 16 foot boat, I have a frame that dictates oar locks in that 10 to 10 and a half, maybe 11 foot range, not 12. Any distance between the oar locks that, that says buy 12 foot oars, it's a bad frame, in my opinion. It's probably a great frame for class two. Go run desert rivers that are like a lot of class two, a little class three. It's going to be fine. But if you want to go do the Tuolumne in California, you want to go do the Illinois, you want to have um, success on the road where Blossom Bar is challenging and having this big splayed out Orlocks are going to hurt you a little bit, you know, then you might want to go to a frame that's more like this. So I just want to bring up the um i want to bring up the oops oh man i need to go back to that uh the high side pro xt raft pro 
16. There was like, because there were some photos on here with this frame. So again, awesome raft, how they recommend it. It's a good boat. It's just a little wide. It's just a little wide. It maybe doesn't need to be as wide as it is, but it's fine if the frame's right. But if you look at their oars, if you look at the frames, here's a, that or this is an example of that frame. If you can see this, that oar lock is on the outside of the double rail and it even is out, it's even splayed out farther. Those oars to me, whatever they are, to me, looking at his oar mechanics are short. Like his, 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 let me bring myself up bigger. His hands are a little bit high and splayed like that, which is how, first of all, you're not powerful like that. You, you want to be like doing push-ups, not whatever, like, not like whatever these are, chest, whatever's, but that this is like asking oars up here is just asking for a shoulder injury. So uh, I, I would say that then that looks like whitewater. It looks like this person is running like a rapid, right? So I would say like, well, maybe that's not the right frame for that raft in whitewater. Right, even though they have it on the website, I'm I'm not into it. Um, I wonder if I can see this one. I can't see that one. Those oars look long too. See that? I mean, those uh, maybe not. Maybe those don't look long. I don't know. Um, and as we go through, we're gonna go through more photos. This look, I can kind of see that or same thing. Th those oar locks actually look bent in, which helps, but it's kind of awkward. Um, you can see this too. This is where there's the double rail, and that oar towers on the outside rail and you can see it's splayed out a bit and so uh this looks like they're in a desert river they're running cloud they're playing backgammon and on like the san juan not that big of a deal they yeah they wouldn't be so chill if they were on a more difficult river because it'd be difficult to row with these orlocks sprayed out so much um same thing like uh, it seems the high side likes this company and recommends this company. Um, again, I, it, it, this is going to be a great frame for a lot of stuff. It carries a lot of stuff, but those ore locks are so wide that whatever length that ore is, it's probably too short and it probably demands a longer ore. Yep. And more of that. That's probably, I mean, they're in the back of it. It's probably a good size. Yep. Um, so that's my opinion about this. Like, um, I think, I think you would want to, Sean, what does that mean? I'm minimized. Uh, is it bad? Am I, am I coming through? Okay. I don't know much what that means. Um, so I would say, uh, the key to having a boat just to, just to sum this up, the key to having a boat that's really well designed to run rapids, to run whitewater, to maximize uh, the best use of your body to have good form. You want the you want your oars to be 1.63 times the distance of your oar locks. If that number gets you to something longer than 11, for optimal use, for like the best use for more difficult rivers, you're gonna want to bring those oar locks in, which um, might mean a new frame, or maybe you use this frame for like your class two, and when you someday go on to run like the, if you go the cell way, like, Hey, I need to get myself a different frame where my oar locks aren't so wide uh, so that I can have, you know, something like in the 10 to 11, probably tens actually, honestly, like, like 
uh, of course, this the, the the high side boat is a little wide, so I'd probably shoot for ten and a half. So you need to find the frame that matches the right oars for this boat. So I I bet you the right frame for this boat is one that has a distance between the oarlocks that that comes out to ten and a half foot oars. And then if you're a baller, throw elevens on, right? Like if you have good oar management, throw elevens on. Go go half up an inch, half a foot longer. But if your or if your distance between the orlocks dictates twelve, and you're running the elevens, you're just not rowing in optimally when you're rowing. Which again, it's great if you're just having your umbrella and you're beaming up and you're just chilling in the sun and you're enjoying cocktails and sunsets and your whatever. But but when you're getting after it, I would rearrange that stuff. All right, hopefully that that makes some sense. If anybody has any thoughts or comments, please throw them in there. Um, but just uh, just to finish up with my one point six three number, uh, I just I think it works. I think it's solid, and and it's it's not like the end all be all. It's a great starting place. It, and uh, I I if you go one point six three in your orders, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Can you tweak it a little bit? Sure. Maybe you have big tubes. Maybe you're taller. Maybe you're, I don't know, tweak it a little bit. But it's a great starting place if you have no other information. The divide by three, divide, multiply by three, divide by two thing that gets you 1.5, it's just consistently too short. So I'm going to say don't start at the 1.5. Like I think a lot of people at shops are telling you, start at the 1.63. Or just if a shop recommends an order, add half a foot. That's a really easy rule to go to. All right. So there's that. Let's go back to here. Sean has a comment. Friend flipped R2 at Chamberlain two weeks ago, 950 CFS at Chamberlain Rapid? Or yeah. Chamberlain Falls. I had to throw back out. Didn't throw. Thank you for not throwing. Two others threw. Boaters didn't need it. Almost never throw a bag. Yeah. I mean. We take these rescue classes. We buy these expensive throw bags. We want to use our skills. We want to use our stuff. Like, oh, finally, I get to use my stuff. And people use the stuff. And throw bags are really dangerous. And I'm guilty of it, too. I've done it. I, I've done it a few times. Like, oh, I just got this new throw bag. Here's a – I think I need a throw bag here. Uh, I, and I'm like, ah, oh, we didn't need a throw bag then. Um. Yeah, there's just it's really think it through before you throw a throw bag. Same thing. There's just an online discussion about whistles, you know. And I've seen a couple of videos recently. People just blowing whistles like crazy. And I'm about to do a, a video about this because it's important to me. But like, swimmer does not mean get, like blow a whistle and grab your throw bag, right? I think that's what people are being taught in some rescue classes. Like, oh, swimmer, swimmer, throw bag. Like that's their, what they're like taught over and over and over. If there's a swimmer, go get them. Like the time it took you to blow your whistle, you should have already started progressing towards them. If you miss them by two seconds, it's because you blew the whistle. That's embarrassing, right? Like if 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 I if I can get that swimmer, I'm gonna go get that swimmer. If I can't, and I see somebody else is, sweet, go, like, go let let them get it. But if you see somebody swimming and somebody's just like tying their shoes or picking their nose, then blow a whistle to get their attention. They'll look at you and then you say, 
swimmer right there. Go get them, right? That's how you, if you see somebody's not, doesn't see the swimmer, they can rescue them. That's time to blow a whistle. But man, the amount of whistleblowing that's happening, I think is kind of, what I'm, what I'm seeing in videos people are posting, they see a flip, they see a swimmer, whistle, and then everybody's throw back happy. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I rarely throw a bag. I mean, you're, it's bags are dangerous. Throwing ropes are dangerous. And so if they flip a Chamberlain, they'll swim to shore. You know, hopefully they'll swim to shore. Like, like give them a chance, right? Like, get, get the boat, like, get in your boat. Like, my, my first thought is, like, why are people on shore below Chamberlain, right, with throw bags? They should be in their boats. Like, they made it through safely, beating the Eddie below Chamberlain. There's a flip. Get out in your boat. Pull them in. Like, in my mind, pull people into boats. Go get them. Don't throw ropes that people can get tangled in. You know, whatever. Um, okay. 1.63. Yeah. I mean, it's just. I try to give the rationale of how I came up with it. Um, it works. Take it, you know, take it or leave it. I never, I love never throwing it. Always get it out when watching waiting. Yeah. You know, what? the beautiful thing about a waist belt is you don't have to like, I mean, I'm trained with it to where I can just pull it out real quick and throw it. I practice with this one really well, so I can just unclip it, ready to go. I don't have to hold it in my hand all the time. Uh, maybe if I'm pretty sure something's going to happen and I know I'm going to swim, but I'm, I'm not going to pull this out and wait for something because in my mind if something happens i'm probably going to go to my boat and go get them like i'm usually in that mindset in my boat go get them like the number of times people throw throw bags are rarely actually pulling swimmers in great tool if you're a firefighter a first responder search and rescue this is what you have you don't have a boat like you don't have a team that can go get them this is what you have so people that do Swift Auto Rescue as a job, this is your tool. They throw the bags. As boaters, we, we're in boats. Like, go get, go get them, right? Chase them downstream. That's the way to go. Only in a recirculation or above strainer sieve. Yeah, I mean, if – I mean, you, I would set safety above something super dangerous. Like, if they flip, you know, man, like, let's, let's, let's bag them for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Don, a loose rope in the river. Yeah, there's a, there's that guy back east, uh, Mike Mather, I guess. This is his saying. It's it's a great, maybe it's somebody else's saying, but yeah, I mean, like a rope in the river is dangerous. And so um, I, I, I've, I've personally made enough of these mistakes where I'm like, I threw a bag and I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have thrown that. That was dumb. Where I've learned my lesson the hard way. And so I'm really like cautious to throw. Um, but again, if you're fresh out of, of rescue class, you know, you're like, Oh, I got my bag. I got my license to I got my, my rescue license. I'm a rescuer now. Let's zip that throw bag out there. Like I would be hesitant to have the attitude. I would wait as long as I can last ditch. Yeah. So it is cause it doesn't always work. Like sometimes it just doesn't, you miss, they don't grab it. It is last ditch. It like your boat in the water getting them will probably work. The throw bag, it's like, Oh, I missed. Now they're going. Right. So the the use your boat as boaters, using your boats to rescue swimmers is the way to go. Yeah, my I've heard that people have like talked a lot about Mike Mather. That's his comment. It's like you know, it being a loose rope in the water is like a serpent. And 
it's pretty impressive how quickly people get tangled in them. And there's a fair number of fatalities from people that would have been totally fine. They're just swimming. They'd be fine. They could probably swim ashore on their own. But people throw them a rope and they get tangled and they can't swim. Like there's a number of those. And so, um, yeah, just I would be really careful. I think if somebody's getting beat down in a hole, I'm not throwing them a rope. I might, I might throw them like I might coil out like just enough rope to get to them. And they don't grab it. I'm going to pull it right out. But throwing 70 feet of rope into a hole while somebody's getting beat down is really bad. Like if I'm getting beat down in a hole and I see somebody with a throw bag, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like, like, don't throw the bag. Don't like the number of times I've seen, I've been a bystander and people are throwing their bags out to throw up to people in holes. I'm like, do not throw that rope. Please stop. Do not throw it. Like getting beat down the hole. The last thing you need is a rope in there with you. Maybe, like I said, again, the length to, from you to the person, coil that out, throw that out so that it can just reach them, and then grab it. But there's no way they'll tangle it. That maybe, but man, I'm super cautious. Okay, with ropes. So, yeah, good, good tangent, Sean. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, again, a flip does not mean you have to blow a whistle. It does not mean you have to throw a rope. It means you have to go get them. Like go get them. Like get in your boat. Hopefully, you're already in your boat because you're responsible. Go get them. Pull them in your boat. If you're a kayaker, start. Swim coach them. Paddle up. Hey, swim over here. Swim over here. Swim over here. If you if you want to let them grab your boat and you feel comfortable, pull them ashore. Do it. But like, keep swimming. Swim over here. And raft, go out there, pull them in. Or at least let them grab on and pull them ashore. Yeah, go get swimmers. Absolutely. Go go get them. Like, like if you're, again, if you're a professional rescuer, you're a swift water rescue trained, and you're, it's your job to go rescue people, that's throw ropes. That's what that's your tool. You have ropes. If you're a boater, go boat to them. Your rescue re, rescue professionals probably practice with their throw bags a lot. They're like they're either like on a volunteer team and they go train. They probably are pretty practiced. They're probably way better than boaters are with the throw bags because that's their tool. As a boater, you boat. You practice boating, so you can go boat after them. You're probably you're, but your throwback skills are maybe pretty suspect. And I'm somebody who watches a lot of people throw throwbags. It's a pretty, pretty poor throwbagging out there that's going on in the real world. So, but some great boating, some great boating. Good, good thing. All right. So let's get back. Uh, that was, this is from last week. Yep. So uh, we'll talk about festivals a little bit. It's festival season coming up and some of the festivals that are happening here in the next few weeks. And I'm about to finish up this episode. So if you have any questions, throw them in the comments. Back to festivals, we're done. This coming weekend is Boat Fest. It looks like it's four days, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Uh, it's down the Smith River. It's a beautiful place. Um, it's there's They're staying at uh, – like everybody's camping. Hopefully the flows are looking good. I haven't really checked the flows. Let's check out the flows. Uh, you know where I go for – when I go for my – if I get a dream flow, so those of you that aren't from the California area, this is uh, this amazing flow page that Chris Shackleton does. And yeah, the flows, I mean, it's in the green. You really, I mean, this is, this is good levels. This is like just not too high, not too low. 
Let's see what the weather is going to do. I checked Crescent City weather, but you might want to check somewhere else. I don't know. I'm not looking for the exact answer. Yeah, it's going to, ooh, it looks like it's going to be a little bit of rain. I mean, you couldn't, it's going to rain on Saturday. Um, it's warmish. You really couldn't ask for better conditions for the Smith. So if you were ever going to go to the Smith, uh, this is this is this is the time. This is the year to do boat uh, boatsmith. This is amazing, amazing. Looks like weather and levels. Um, yeah, awesome. So we got boatsmith coming up here this weekend. So those of you going are probably gonna have a wonderful time. The Upper Wind Festival date was just announced. The Upper Wind Whitewater Festival, and the uh, I love the Wind Festival. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a festival the same way boatsmith is or anything else is. It's just a race. It's it's like a sat. It's probably on a Saturday. Come on Saturday, and we're gonna race. And uh, there's gonna there's R two race head to head kayak races head to head, and then usually people go to a brewery or something afterwards do awards and just just hang out. So it's not like as organized as other festivals. Uh, it's mainly just a race, and it's a hard race. It's head to head down the upper wind, so it's challenging. I would love for there to be a cat cat raft race. Like I would love to. Like I'm trying to decide if I want an R2 race or cataract race. I have to decide soon because I have to find a partner to R2 with. Um, so if anybody wants a cataract race, let me know just so I know it's going to happen. Because if there's a cataract race, that's my first choice. I think that is just the most fun. Uh, I, I'd be a bum to show up and see the other people are cataract racing when I decided not to do it. So let me know if anybody wants to um, be partners for that. Again, great festival. Um, I, I love that one just because it's simple. It's just we race, we go have beers, it's over. Uh, pretty straightforward to organize. All right, next on that list is, oops, I gotta put that back. Let's see if I can, oh, there we go. Oh, is that what I want? I want this. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do this size. Okay. Uh, Illy Fest is a new fest and Nicole is organizing on April 27th and 28th. I don't know anything about it. Sounds like it's a river cleanup and a festival. It's on the upper section of the, the Illinois. So those of you that don't know the Illinois very well, the multi-day section is Miami Bar to Oak Flat. Upstream of there, it goes through several little towns. And there's a beautiful section right by $8 Mountain upstream of the normal pudding. And it's just fun. There's some class twos and threes. There's a couple of – there's Big Illinois Falls, Little Illinois Falls. A Josephine Creek comes right there. It's boatable. Uh, it's just beautiful up there. So thanks, Nicole, for organizing this one. And those of you that want to make it down there, uh, it's a another cool festival, and then the, and then the big one, Clack Fest. This is just you know I love Clack Fest. Um, let's bring it up. Clack Fest. Let's see if you just Google. It's actually technically, yeah, it comes up. It's technically the Upper Clackamas Whitewater Festival. It happens every year in May. I don't. It didn't happen in COVID, but this is like the thirty fifth year or something crazy. I don't even know. Thirty eighth. This is the thirty eighth anniversary of the first one. It's been going around. It's been going on for a very long time. I I think this is just the best festival. I think people would disagree with me because it's made it's class three. Maybe you might call it class four. I don't know. I I'll say it's three plus. Uh, flow dependent. It's it's not really hard in terms of whitewater, but they put gates in the hardest rapid that makes it. You know, the skill to make all the gates is like four plus maybe five skill to actually make every gate to like do the rapid through all of the, I think it's eight gates and there's demos. So if you want to try out rafts, there's demos, there's free shuttles. 
Uh, most manufacturers are there showing off their stuff. It's just great. Just It's a two-day festival. There's races both days. And what I love about it is there's every kind of race, right? Like, uh, here's the list. Oh, you probably can't see that. Can you see? Yeah, you can probably see it. Uh, I, I think the the classic uh, race of the festival is the Orbot Slalom. It's just the classic Upper Clackamas race. My favorite race, too. There's a Cataract Slalom, a women's paddle teams. Oh, that's not this year. There's an R2 mass start where a bunch of R2 start side by side. And it's just pandemonium. And you have to hit gates. Inner Tube Slalom, which is hilarious. Val's Volleyball, which is a fun game for Cataracts. Drift Boat Slalom, Cataract Rodeo, where you go surf and show off and get points. Paddle Team Slalom. There's a few kayak events. Hard Shell Mass Start. IK Mass Start, which I love. I mean, I'll enter that one for sure. But they're not doing the IK Slalom. That's too bad. Sup events. So there's all kinds of races to participate in or watch. And, you know, there's a bunch of vendors. They'll be there doing boat demos. It looks like Sotar, Moravia, Recrotech, Clackamas River Outfitters, River Gypsies, Class 5 gear, Jack's Plastic. Um, so there'd be great, a bunch of rafts to try out. I know it's a cool festival. I'm a big fan. And I think to me, it's just the ultimate gathering of the whitewater community in the Northwest. This is, this isn't that much about partying. It's not that much about racing. It's really, it's, it's, it's about gathering the community together to just check in in May. I'm a big fan. Oh yeah. And I just saw this. The national rafting championships are at the same time. So you'll be able to watch like the best rafting teams from around the world compete in the national rafting championships, which we think we did that like 10 years ago. So it's nice to see that that's back. But um, I mean, I just love it. Here's, oh man, it's funny. There's a video of the inner tubes. The inner tubes slalom is hilarious. So those are my thoughts. And um, the festival is coming up. If you, you all have more, throw them in the comments. When's your next IRF throwback contest? Uh, I don't know. Might be a while. I, I've been really busy. And so I'm, you know, I, I need to focus on work sometimes. And I enjoy doing the channel and the contest, but like that last year was really fun to do this contest, but it was a lot of work. So we'll see when I have time and, and motivated to do it, but probably not anytime soon. Uh, do you have any pointers on what to look for when selecting a place to take a Swiftwater rescue class? Are they basically the same in terms of content? Keegan, I answered this question last week, and I'm going to um, – uh, I'll answer it again. I'll, I'll answer it again, uh, but maybe quickly. I think there's two types of rescue out there that we should consider. One of them, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is what I'm going to put in a Swiftwater Rescue container. Swiftwater Rescue to me denotes first responders – firefighters, search and rescues. These people are generally not boaters. They're either paid or they're volunteers who have a duty to show up and perform rescues to people in the river. The people they're rescuing are generally not dressed correctly. They're not experienced. They're out of their element. So these are pro professional rescuers showing up to rescue people who are out of their element. The tools you use are generally ropes. You have a lot of equipment, a lot of ropes, a lot of people. It probably took you 20 minutes to get there. And so uh, if the person's still, if the victim's still alive, you're probably, they're probably not, they weren't, they, they probably weren't drowning. They're probably just like stuck on a rock. And so you have time to get to both sides of the river, set up cross river systems, 
and do all kinds of stuff. That's Swiftwater Rescue. I'm going to say there's a different thing. I'm going to call Whitewater Rescue. I'm terming it Whitewater Rescue because I, I feel like it needs a different term. And this is where we're boaters. We're all boating down the river. And if there's a victim, we either come upon them with another group or they're with us. We know who they are. They're probably dressed appropriately. They probably have a PFD. They probably have the right stuff. They probably are, are somewhat talented. They probably can swim. A lot of them can. A lot of them could help in their, in their own rescue because they maybe have been trained, right? And they have some skills. So not totally a victim. And as you're floating down river and you come upon this scene or you're a part of the scene, you have boats and skilled operators that can go out to the person or the thing and do the rescue. And it's a different set of rescue priorities. It's a different uh, set of skills you would use in doing rescues. And I would say, uh, I would, and I would define these people, in this case would define a rescue as a person. Where if it's a boat stuck or a paddle on an eddy, that, I'm going to call that equipment retrieval. I break these things up. There's rescuing, which is actually saving people, right? And then there's equipment retrieval, which is all the Z rigs and all the fancy stuff that people get excited about. So if I was to pick a class, I would want I would not want one with the title of Swift Water in it necessarily. I'd want to make sure it's designed. The curriculum is written by boaters, and it's designed for boaters. And so the ones that come to mind, I think are really good. And people in the comments, please comment if you think there's more out there. Sierra Rescue curriculum is designed by boaters and taught by boaters. I would take the Sierra Rescue, but I would take the River Rescue Certification, their RRC, which depending where you're at, you know, somebody else can be teaching their curriculum. They have instructors all over the place. Um, I would also look to Swiftwater Safety Institute that was started by a boater. Curriculum was written by boaters. They're mostly taught by boaters. So you want people who you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to learn from a firefighter because it's a different thing. Any that again, any training is good. So if you take a swift water rescue class from a firefighter, it's good training. But but like it, it's even better if you can take it a curriculum written by a boater, taught by a boater. So uh Sierra Rescue, Swiftwater Safety Institute, and there's more. There's more out there. I would just I would look for curriculum. Like I said several times here, written by boater, top by boater. We also like I, my company. If you don't know, I have a owner rafting company. We do what we call class three safety and rescue, and it's three days. It's one day in the classroom, one day on the riverbank, one day on the river, and we spend one third of our time each day, one third on prevention. Like this is not have accidents to begin with. Let's talk about. Let's just talk about how we can be better. And more responsible so we have fewer accidents so a third of each day is on prevention a third of each day is on rescue which is like let's save people and a third of the day is equipment retrieval which is the stuff people like they like the z-rigs they like the pulleys they like the they like all the carabiners and the knots um so we do a third each day and we break it up that way that's good. so this is the class that we offer at the end of our course you do not get some card that says you're certified to go save lives um, we don't give cards. This is just training. When, it, when you come to our course, if you've taken a class, you're better. Um, the other ones, if you need some sort of card to show your employer, they'll give you a card. I'll, I mean, I'll give you a card if you want me to make a card for you. Um, but I think uh, this isn't a, the, our class is education. It's not certification. All right. Hopefully I answered your question, Keegan, there pretty well. 
Jay, if I may, I'd like to announce my favorite river cleanup. May 4th is the 40th Green River Cleanup. GreenRiverCleanup.org. Awesome. Yes, you may. Let's go to that, Jay. Green River Cleanup. Hey, Jay, are you going to come to Clackfest and and attempt to uh, <clears throat> take me on? Are we going to do another competition this year at Clackfest? Looking forward to it. Uh, here's the website. Uh, this is the river I'm dying. I've never done. I'm dying to do. Everybody raves about the green. Uh, I'm pretty free, Jay, ish the next few weeks. Uh, I, have, I have some days off, so if it comes in, let me know. I'm gonna try to try to go do the green. But awesome, thanks for sharing that. Don offers. Yeah, there we go. Riverrecreation.com. I'm assuming Don's a boater, and because he watches the show. And he's teaching rescue as a boater with curriculum written by boaters, which is great. And the ACA is the American Canoe Association. It's a boating organization. And so when you take an ACA course, I, the curriculum has been written by boaters, influenced by rescue people a little bit, but written by boaters. And instructors, hopefully, are taking it from an instructor who is a boater. And um, I, what I found when I when I've interviewed people about quality of rescue classes and what classes to take the ACA classes can be great. They're the quality of the class is very instructor dependent. And so I would, you know, try to, however you would check on the quality of the instructor and look them up. I'm sure Don is amazing. Um, yep. Yep. So it's water rescue for boaters. Yep. Whitewater rescue, unique words. Yeah. I, it's the word I'm using Don. I'm, I'm, I think we need to differentiate between swift water rescue, which is, like I said, firefighter search and rescue stuff. It's a different set of techniques. It's super rope heavy. And we need to have a new type of course, which is whitewater rescue. Sea rescue, they don't call they don't call it swift water rescue for their they call it river rescue certification. I think SSI is getting away from it. I think it's it makes sense. If you're doing rescues in whitewater. And whitewater is like what we do. We're all whitewater people. That's a different type of skill. And so I'm I'm using it. If some, somebody comes up with something better, that's great. What I'm trying to avoid is the people I boat with and my employees who are guides taking a traditional swiftwater rescue class and being rope happy. Like I don't like – or whistle happy. You know, I want them – and, and um, I think sometimes if you look at like a traditional firefighter Swiftwater rescue instructor, they look like Batman. They have these PFDs, they have radios, they have carabiners everywhere, they have knife, multiple like knife off the back, knife here. They just have stuff everywhere. And so people model after the instructor who has stuff everywhere. And that's why we have guy boaters with just carabiners and just gadgets everywhere on their PFD because they're modeling after the instructors. As a first responder, a firefighter, you it makes sense to do that. You're probably not gonna swim. You're only dressing up in your outfit just in case you fall in. You're probably not falling in. You're probably you're in, with these teams. They have rescue swimmers. Hey, hey, rescue swimmer, go do the thing. I'm gonna be on shore with my radio and all my doodads, you know. And I'm probably won't fall in, but I'm wearing this just in case. This is PPE, just in case I maybe fall in. I'm probably not going to. If I'm a whitewater rescue person, I want to dress more like. Like um, cat girl. Is it cat girl, cat woman? I want to be sleek. I don't want dangly things hanging off me. I don't need radios. I don't need carabiners up and down. I don't need like a, a belt over my back full of chalks and tools. 
Uh, I'm going to be sleek. I have to, I have to swim. So I want minimal friction. I want to pull myself back into rafts. I don't want to get tangled on things. And so as a whitewater rescue person, I want to have minimal stuff. And I think a lot of the people that teach this type of rescue model that behavior. They have a good PFD. It's in good shape. It's sleek. Maybe something, hey, maybe they do external knife, but that's about it. They don't have like other doodads. And so I, I think that um, whitewater rescue is a different thing. Okay. That's a whole other tangent. Freeze Coast look up Mike Sharp. Yeah, cool. Thanks for the recommendation. Mike Sharp Rapid Rescue. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. Tin Man PV. Don's aboard for 32 years. Yep. So it, that's can't beat experience. That's for sure. I agree on about something. Less ropes, more on the fly. Right. Yep. Yep. Like if a boat flips, go flip it back over and get everybody on. Um, like if you take a swift water rescue class, like the one I talked about, they don't talk about raft flips because they don't use rafts to flip. You right. And so, but managing a raft flip is a really important thing, but it's not in traditional swift water rescue curriculum. Like your swift water rescue, your rescue class should probably cover flips. I would think. Uh, I don't think it needs to cover ropes that like there's tension diagonals. River people aren't going to set up tension diagonals. That's just a waste of your time to train on. I also like don't think that we should be training on like those rescue vests, tying ourselves to ropes and jumping in the river. Like I just think that like it's just not really done uh, by river people. And every, every time I ask somebody, that, give me an example of when it saved a life. And they're like, well, we saved some paddles with it. There was paddles stuck in the eddy. Well, this one raft was in a hole. It's how we get the raft out. But I'm not a fan of tying myself to a rope to save a raft. Like if it's a person, that's one thing. And there's a few examples of tethered rescue, tying yourself to a rope and jumping in, saving lives. There are a few examples for sure. Um, but I'd rather use that time, that half a day you spend on tethered rescue Let's talk about prevention. Let's just not have accidents. How can we not get her to begin with? Um, this is my opinion. This is my opinion on, on this stuff too. Thanks for the answer. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Keegan, I'm glad you're going on the right, the right path. Um, Heidi, no more external PFD knife for me. Thanks for the persuasive argument, Zach. I'm tired of catching my knife in the boat and climbing back into the – yeah, I mean, <laughs> the number of knives that fall in is ridiculous. Now – I mean, I cover this knife thing a lot. I talk about it a lot. I've done a zillion videos about knives. I'm doing more videos about knives soon. I think that, like, I have that, and I talked about this last time. Historically, the PFDs we had didn't have pockets. We had those extra sports, uh, which with the little vertical things. There was no pocket for a knife. And so we lashed them on the outside of our PFDs. That's not where it was, that was our only option. And that sort of stuck, took. And people, it looks cool. You have a knife on your thing. And we had to do that. But now that we have pockets that are accessible, easily accessible, I'm an internal knife guy. But I have this NRS PFD, the big water guide vest that I'm using for higher water that doesn't have a good pocket for knives. And so I'm going to rock an external knife. And the bear claw, I think, is just the way to go. It's just, I mean, most external knives suck. They don't cut rope. And I don't need to go into that again. The bear claw cuts rope. It's, a good, it's good at cutting rope. Not like... Like this bad boy, this bad boy cuts rope, like nothing else. Like, but the bear claw is not bad. This this Eldred knife that I just got that I've been playing with, 
the Eldred, whatever. It's a, it's actually cuts rope, but it's really hard to, you can't get it out of this thing with one hand. Like, I don't even know, even with two hands, it's kind of tough. But this is a sweet knife. I mean, this, the newer version has a great blade on it. This thing cuts rope too. And it's a, it's a really good locking. It's not going to come out of this, but getting it out with one hand is almost impossible. The bear claw, for those of you that don't know, if you tighten, if you loosen that screw, it creates more friction and it's more likely to, to like stay in the thing. So you can loosen that screw a lot to make it hard to pull out. So, but I mean, I've been over this a million times. You also like the Gerber Easy Out Rescue Knife. Cheap, 50 bucks. Great cutting blade. I mean, this blade, something to focus. This blade can cut rope. Um, easy to handle, easy to open. Can't go wrong. Okay. Be super safe and tie yourself in the boat. Hmm. I would not recommend tying yourself in a boat unless you're in a creature craft. I think in a creature craft, you can tie yourself in. But I wouldn't tie. I, I'm not sure what this even comment even means, but I wouldn't do that. The people who run safety at the Green Race, North Carolina, are river people doing some legit swift water rescues the rope attached to them. I'm sorry, I'm reading that way too fast. The people who run safety at the Green Race in North Carolina in November are river people doing some legit swift water rescues with ropes attached to them. It's pretty incredible to see. Yeah, that's a that's an event-based rescue. They're at an event. They're stationed. They're tied to a rope. That's how you do it, at an event. But if you were just running the green, you and your buddies were just running the green, nobody's going to go on. Like, you, you're in your boats. If somebody swims, you go, you just deal with it in your boats. Like, yeah, so I think I think swiftwater professionals, like I said, uh, firefighters, first responders, search and rescue, and uh, people doing event safety, stationed at a place, great use of it. But like floating down the river, when you have boats, instead of tying yourself to a rope and jumping in, just get in the boat and go get the thing, go get the person. It in the time it takes to set that up, like you're not like, oh, so and so is getting in trouble. Hey, will you get a rope and tie it to me? I'm gonna jump in. Like it, you just you're never there to do it. It just isn't a realistic thing. Like, yeah. Anyway, the assist. Which one's the assist again, Mike? Is this this isn't the assist, is it? Spiderco assist. There's so many. I mean, there's so many badass Spiderco knives. Which one's the assist? Oh yeah, this this is the assist. Yeah, I mean, this is this thing is so awesome. The first time somebody recommended it to me, I'm like, that's ridiculous. This knife is too big. But the advantage is it's harder to lose because it's so big. When you, I mean, it's when it's on my PFD, it's easy to find because it's big. It's really easy to open, right? And it's easy to grip. Like I'm less likely to drop in the river. This, I might, I could see myself maybe dropping the river. It's a little small. Um, the bear claw, same thing. The bear claw. It's not the biggest knife. I can put my finger in there, which helps. But it's just like a little dainty knife. The assist, though, is just so awesome. And, it, like, you can put rope. One cool thing about the assist. And this is this is burly rope. This is hard rope to cut. You can, you, it's designed to put rope like this and just cut it like, like let's see if we can do it. It's going to struggle because this is burly rope. Yeah, it's not going to do it. Let's put some thinner up. It's designed so that you can just put rope on it and cut it like this. It's not really working for me today, is it? Oh man, that's disappointing. 
Maybe it's supposed to do it up here. Yeah, that's too bad. But it's designed so you can like put rope on it like a guillotine and just do this. But it's not working. But regardless, even if that's not working, this should work. Maybe it needs wimpy rope. If you go to cut really hard rope, it just goes right through it. I mean, that's it really tears up rope. It's amazing. So it's a great knife. Okay. Uh, be snorkeling for all the river booty like knives and GoPros in the pool. We can, yeah. It's probably a lot of go. I mean, yeah. Can never miss the cleanup. Yep. Yeah, they it's amazing. It's a cool, it's a sweet knife. It has a whistle. Barely works, but whatever. If you push this down, a little thing to break glass pops out, a little to break a window. It's kind of cool. Oh, this was, yeah. I mean, this was designed for firefighters. This wasn't designed for river people. But yeah, you like the clamping down and go like that. This is not for seatbelts. Yep. Do I still attend any of our walking trips? Sometimes. Uh, the problem is they're scheduled. I do all of our class four schools generally, and I do all of our Illinois trips. And I just can't possibly be on the river for two months straight. So the time we do Hawaii trips, I generally don't go um, because we have really good crew that does the Hawaii trips. But if we were to cancel our Illinois season or have to can if we had to cancel a bunch of other stuff, I'll go on them. But generally, I do. It's been a while since I've been on the on the Oahe. Um, I, I hope to go more. It's just hard because we I'm so busy guiding other trips at the same time. Well, everybody, another great show. Thank you all for watching, for taking care of it. It's really been fun. Um, well, the show, thanks. Just ordered a Gerber. That much different? That much different from what? Just ordered a Gerber. That much different from the Gerber. I'm trying to answer a question. I don't quite understand it. The Gerber, you can't go wrong. I mean, I, I, I have like seven PFDs just because I test them out. I have a, a kayak. I have a kayaking one. I have a low water one. I have a high. I, just, I have a lot of PFDs. Half of them have this one. Half of them have spider coats. I can't afford seven spider coats. So the ones where I'm just, I, I'm like my casual guiding ones have this knife. It's sweet. It's just so good. Um, but there's a bunch of cool spider coats. The Atlantic Salt. I've done tons of videos on these, all these knives. Uh, there's just so many cool Spyderco knives that I just like. They're just they they're amazing. But you this is solid. You really can't go wrong. And this knife will cut rope better than pretty much every external knife. So any external knife you can find on the market, this definitely is a better blade, hands down. Like even the bear, which the bear claw I think is the best external knife for cutting rope. It's or tied. This thing's still better. Longer blade, better serrations. Yeah, it's just going to cut rope better. So you really can't go wrong with a Gerber. Uh, oh, how much different than the Spyderco? The Spyderco is just higher quality steel. I mean, the Spyderco's two to three times the price, 30% better. Maybe. I'm just making that up. But they, they cut rope a little better. You like, you saw me just cut with that what I think is like the ultimate spider co, right? That one's just like where it's at. Here's the Gerber. It did better in that case.
So let me, let me try it with the spider kill one more time. And this is, again, this is thick rope. It's dirty rope. It's hard to cut. Uh, and, you know, when you do these practice things, you got to do a few to really make it worth it. One. Yeah. I mean, in this case, the Gerber is better than the spider kill. The, the one thing about this spider kill that I don't like is the, the serrations don't go the whole way. Like there's, if these serrations went the whole way, it would cut the rope better. The Gerber, the serrations go the whole way. And so each cut gets a longer, like more serrations next to it. I'm not sure you can see that. Like each each pass, this gets more serrations actually cutting it. Whereas like the bear claw, which the bear claw to me is the best external knife. This is the new bear claw. Wasn't as great. And this is what I think is the best external knife. But the new, the new one, they're not even serrations, they're like. They call them VEF serrations. They allow me, they're so slick, they allow me to just kind of cut like this really, like, that doesn't get stuck up in the serrations. So I can kind of go back and forth, right? But you, if we pull out an NRS knife right now, we'd be here all day. So, you know, the advantage of this, quick access, boom, I'm cutting. The disadvantage of this is I have to like unzip my PFD, grab it, open it, and then start cutting. Short, more time to access, faster to cut. Less time to access, slower to cut. This one falls out in, when you're getting back in the boat. It actually makes it harder to get back in the boat. It stays in your PFD. That's the main difference. Yeah, hopefully that helped. Um, I just reminded how solid this Gerber is. I mean... It's a great knife. It's a great knife. 50 bucks. I think it's like 50 bucks. All right. Well, that's the end of the show, everyone. Thanks for watching. Happy Tuesday. Uh, if I have, there's more questions, I'll have a show next Tuesday. If not, we'll take a week off. But thanks for watching. And hopefully I'll see you on the river. It's river season. So hopefully I'll see you all out there. Mm -hmm.